0: It's been over a year now since In The Key of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap, of my proclivities to, self-sabotage, to country, to kiss me girl, soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. This is Dan here, thanks for downloading this episode. Many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. You are genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly, to give a space for queer voices to be heard. In this week's episode, my guest talks about his experiences as a young man in a Catholic seminary, being a misfit within the queer community and the painful but rewarding honesty that comes with infidelity. Share your thoughts about today's episode, the pods on social media at in the key of Q, or email me direct on podcast at InTheKeyOfQ.com. And if you've a moment, please do subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast provider. All that's left for me to say is enjoy the episode.
1: We've got it all.
2: I still face a a lot of judgement from the the gay community because of who, because I'm different and because I, I like different things.
0: Hello I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up I almost never heard pop songs where openly queer men sang about their truths and it made me feel invisible. There were the occasional heroes like Jimmy Somerville, Mark Almond and Andy Bell but they were thin on the ground. But these days there are plenty of songs where I can hear openly queer men singing their truths. And this podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians who create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard, and know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In the Key of Q. I'm thrilled to bring you this interview from a musician who's been an incredible inspiration to me as a gay man. He's been hugely supportive too of this podcast, because way back in the mists of 2020, he very kindly gave up his time to record our test pilot. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the show, Tom Goss. It's cool
1: and near the lake, let's go and hang our legs Until our toes touch lightly to the water from the pier And when the sun lays down, it's... light up and then suspend midair to light our journey home that's the Kenosha that I know that's the Kenosha that I call home that's the Kenosha that I know
2: I'm a good old uh, Midwestern American boy. I grew up in Wisconsin, Kenosha. You may have heard of it over the course of 2020 um, for reasons that, uh, you know, the city should not be very proud of. But that's where I grew up. And uh, um, I decided to to go to college in Missouri. I wrestled in college on a, on a wrestling scholarship. And really, athletics was kind of my... Um, my focus in life. I grew up in a in a family of gymnasts, and I eventually transitioned over to wrestling. And uh, and yeah, I went to school in, in rural Missouri, and then moved to Washington D.C. after college to um, to go back to college and to be a Catholic priest. So I went into Catholic seminary to go to graduate school in theology. I'm a fun and playful and physical person, and really joyous person. But I'm also want to have really deep conversations. And, you know, I think that I swing from, from one side to the other pretty drastically, but those are the two sides of my personality. My goal as an artist is to be as open and authentic and honest as possible. And um, it's, it's, it's really kind of that simple. I, I don't ask anybody if I can speak about how my relationship with them affects me. Um, I don't ask permission to write the music that I write. I think there's been times where that's been difficult and where that's caused um, tension between, most specifically, my husband and I. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's how I process um, my experience and my feelings, and it is... It is how I authentically live in the world. And he knows that and sometimes that might be difficult for him, but he also knows he can't say, hey, Tom, you can't exist in the world in the way that you were made to exist in the world. It's kind of that simple. I wouldn't ever say to him, "Hey, you can't do the things that you love and use your brain in the way that it was made to be used because I want you to conform to what I want in this moment." It's that's just not that's not a fair conversation. I'm I'm really grateful that I have a husband that um that understands that.
1: That's the kenosha that I know. That's the kenosha that I know. That's the kenosha that I know. That's the Kinocha that I know. That's
2: the Kinocha. We all feel alone all the time because we are constantly fed bullshit. You know, Lady Gaga is great. She does really great things, but she is she's not real. She sometimes talks about real things, but she's often not talking about real things. And and everything is hidden behind a facade of things. Now, now she's gotten a lot better and she's 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 become so famous it doesn't matter anymore but i'm you know but everybody is developing characters and telling you that you have to be this thing i I, you know it's funny i had this 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 um reaction the other day where someone was like flawless like i was on twitter and everybody's like flawless 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 like we're throwing that thing around like perfect perfect and i'm like no it's not perfect but that's still fucking awesome like we are t- we we are always projecting this idea of perfectness we're constantly face tuning ourselves we're constantly taking snapshots of our life in the most perfect and joyous and best moments that we have and putting it out in the world and the, tr- the truth is that's not it and, and by doing that we are alienating everybody else who isn't feeling that exact thing at that exact moment and so i, I guess i feel like I have a responsibility to to just be who I am. And 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 I can't tell you the number of emails and notes that I get from people that felt alone before they stumbled onto something that I made because nobody else in the world and and I don't say that to be arrogant, it's just true. Like often the things that I have made nobody else in the world was making and nobody else in the world was saying and that is crazy to me because millions of people in the world were feeling it millions of people in the world were thinking it and those same millions of the people of the world were afraid of it and they were afraid of it because nobody was saying anything I can't tell you how many times i've I've tried to book clubs and they tell me that they don't book fags or how many times you know and I'm not even saying in the straight community, I'm saying that I still face a face a lot of judgment from the from the gay community because of who because I'm different and because i I like different things and because i approach approach the world differently and and that's. That's honestly fine with me. I've always been su- I've always been weird. So I was in San Francisco once at this at this bar called 440. And I was talking to this guy and just having a good old time, an older gentleman, he's probably like 60 65. He wasn't my type at all, but I don't really give a shit. I was just having a conversation with him. But what inevitably ends up happening is people think I'm hitting on them because because I'm too friendly. (laughs) And uh, um, so at some point in time, he starts asking this really strange series of questions, which is getting a little uncomfortable for me because I'm not really sure where he's going. And I stop him and I just say to him, uh, I'm sorry, are you trying to ask me if I'm a prostitute? And he, he looks at me and goes, well, yeah. And I look at him and I go, no, I, I'm not a prostitute. Why would you think I'm a prostitute? And he goes, well, because I'm old and you're young and you're talking to me. And I looked at him and I, and I was like, no, I'm not a prostitute. I'm just from Wisconsin. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, I feel like people like him are suspicious of my motives. And the cool kids on the other side of the bar are like, why is Tom talking to that person? So that automatically kind of makes me uncool in that way. I'm not saying you have to be friends with everybody. Look, I don't get along with everybody. I don't want to hang out with everybody. But I'm certainly not like, I don't want to hang out with you because... You, you have a little bit of a belly or because you are too thin or you are too short or you are too brown. Or, you know, none of that makes any sense to me. But that's what we have been programmed to think like. And so we carry it into all, all other situations.
1: Some people think they got it right they tell me just what i will like a tight waist a smooth face daily exfoliates but they don't know me (laughs)
2: Why do you think all of our queer heroes are black trans people? Because they are the ones that have been so judged and so left out and so discarded that they had to tear down all of those constructs from, from, from whatever the rest of us are buying into and embrace everybody and build community out of what they could. And they did that so fucking effectively, they started a revolution. I mean, that's who we should be talking about. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is part of the reason we're even having this conversation is because I am white and my body looks the way that it looks. And um, I happen to be attractive in the way that people find attractive. Like bears would not have been as effective without that. And in as much as I'm saying all of this right now, and as much as it's frustrating to me, and as much as I preach body positivity and inclusivity, like... That is not what I, what I, what I reflect back on to myself. Um, I am super judgmental to myself. I, I'm constantly working out or constantly making sure that I look a certain way so that my product that goes out into the world will be more received. And that is really fucking lame. (laughs) You know? (laughs) My parents are divorced. My parents hate each other. Um it has not been a good experience for me. Um it still reverberates to this day and and it it really has colored all of the ways in which my family interacts with each other. Not only my parents, well they don't interact with each other, but how how us as children interact with our parents and and with each other as a result of that. And I remember at a very, very young age, I think I was probably 10, I was walking from my mother's house to my father's house. And I was just hurting like so bad. And and I remember telling myself that I was never going to be in a relationship and it wasn't for me. And I'm like, you know, I want to cry thinking about this. And, um... And that was it. And I shut that part of me off. I shut my ability to be in the interpersonal loving relationships off at that moment. And I'm not saying that I wasn't a good friend to people. I've always been a good friend and I wasn't fun to be around. I've always been fun to be around. But my, my interest or ability to be in a romantic relationship was nil. And, you know, that was one of... One of the things that made going into seminary really easy is, is, you know, I was already a virgin and I was already celibate. I, I, um, I had really shut that switch off in my life at the age of 10. And and so for me, when I, f- I didn't even really have sexual attractions, you know, I didn't even really masturbate and I, I I think when I finally did find somebody attractive, when I finally did fall in love, it was such a wonderful, magical feeling. It wasn't like I was thirteen and I was chasing a crush around. It wasn't like I was sixteen and like had you know, had fantasies about things. Like imagine all of those <clears throat> those childhood sexual development stages not existing. And then at 22, realizing that you, you know, as, a, as somebody who believes to be, they are asexual, like realizing that they do have sexual attraction and, you know, it's to, to men and it's to bears. I think that would be really traumatic to a lot of people because, you know, they maybe were trying so hard to be straight or attracted to whatever they were supposed to be attracted to. But for me, it was like this beautiful revelation. It was all of these feelings that had just like blossomed immediately. It was like a time-lapse flower. Like, imagine looking at this flower for like 10 years and you're like, you know, it's going to open. And then all of a sudden it just bloomed. then I met Mike and it was so wonderful and it was so healing and it was so everything and it was like I think <clears throat> I think I was like I got it. This is it. This is the perfect. And I just want and Mike is the first person I ever dated, mind you. So it was like shoo, wrap that up in a bow and do that forever. But um but when you know, I was at this party, uh, a Halloween party, and I um, you know, I essentially walked in on him with somebody else. and um, and all of a sudden, my whole entire world construct as, as to what love is and what relationship is was defined by this one relationship. My other examples in life were horrible. I'm certainly not looking at my parents for examples as to what a, a loving, long-lasting relationship is. So for me, it was always looking up to my own relationship, I guess, in a way. And when that crumbled, everything, <clears throat> I guess not crumbled, when when that happened, and when my husband, you know, started having a conversation about opening the relationship, kind of everything that all the bedrock that I had built my ideals about relationship and love started really crumbling. Um, and that was really, really hard. That was really hard. And, uh, um, regardless of how painful that was, you know, and, and again, we talk about these kind of like societal constructs we have uh, many times, but, but, um, I started thinking about what I was supposed to do, right? Society tells me that I have three options. Society tells me that I, you know, kick him to the curb. You know, you hurt me, whatever. Um, I can never trust you again. And society tells me that I do this thing and I sacrifice self and I just be like, sad because i didn't attain what i wanted to attain but there's a third option that that i don't think society really talks about and that is you you open yourself up more i think that's the that's you know we talked about authenticity earlier and 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 along with authenticity for me it's really vulnerability in my goal in life is to be so open and so vulnerable that anybody I can meet, anybody I meet at any point in time can completely and utterly rip my heart out and destroy me, right? And that's their choice. It's also my choice to be destroyed or not be destroyed, right? So so I chose in that moment to... To try to listen and to try to understand and to try to really come to terms with what was going on in his life and to continue to be open and vulnerable about the pain that I was experiencing Um, and to continue to maybe even this is going to sound masochistic, but invite more in. Like, I'm open to this conversation. I'm in a really hard place. And you keep saying things that hurt me, right? And I'm going to allow that. I'm not just going to say like, fuck you, I'm out of here. Because as much as, I, as, much as you, you want to, or as much as I wanted to, there was no denying the fact that Mike is the best person I've ever met in my entire life. Mike has saved me and healed me and supported me and uplifted me in more ways that I could ever count in more ways that I could ever write about and for me to kick him out and say fuck you and start over would be to negate those things which frankly are the most solid truths I have ever learned.
0: just had a clip of your song Quebec and those are such powerful lyrics in that chorus we are not us there is another us to us we are not special we are no longer special
2: yeah shit man I want to cry just like thinking about that moment you know and he said that and again talk about openness and authenticity and vulnerability like he said that to my face And I heard that, like we, it didn't lead to a fight. It didn't lead to me defending my actions. It just led to me hearing that and being like, fuck, that's how he's feeling in this moment. And that is hard. And I think, you know, again, to piggyback off of what you're saying It's I had I didn't know how to release this record because it was so different. And all I and and I guess it's you know whatever I write is whatever I am or whatever I'm feeling in that moment. It doesn't mean that I can't change how I feel or things don't change. Uh, And one of the other things I just want to bring up when it comes to uh, that video in particular is that that is um, the middle of a trilogy of videos. Um, The first, I'm not sure if you've noticed, there was a two before Berlin. I mean, Berlin is Berlin, Quebec, and Regretting. So, you know, so if you want to see what triggered the Quebec, then watch Berlin. And if you want to see what happens after the breakfast, then, then watch Regretting he will always be my, my husband and my only husband, but you know, if you took ter- think about it litter- literally, like you know, he's not like how do you, that's, dude it's, it's really fucking hard <laughs> it's hard to come to terms with all that You know, I talked about that video being the second part in a three-part video series. And, and the third song that kind of pulls that together is a song called Regretting. And the second verse of that is, I would never dream of regretting those flaws that could threaten all we've got, all we've got, all we've got. It's just that I needed them for self-acceptance. And I think there's something really beautiful about understanding that you as a human and your relationship is a flawed entity. And that in and of itself is okay. Like, I'm not striving for the perfect marriage. I'm striving to understand myself and my emotions and how I love. And I'm striving to understand my husband, his emotions, and how he loves. And I'm striving to be attentive to those emotions, regardless of how they ebb and flow. I feel really, really grateful. For the pandemic. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but I've been locked in a house with my husband for a year now. And I love it. Regardless of how how much of a struggle we had between 2017 and 2019 and, and, and how many times I cried, um, I we spent that time learning learning about the depths of each other's flaws in a way in which we never would have otherwise. Not only learning about them, but then accepting them. Okay, you have these fears, you have these pains, you have these flaws. I still love you. And now when all the world has disappeared and we're stuck together, we, we, get, to, we get to love each other's um, highs and we get to understand and love each other's lows. And it's a really, really great place to be. Yeah
1: will always be special to. You.
2: The last year of my college, I would have all of these people constantly falling in love with me and telling me that they were in love with me, and then like it would become this weird stalkery thing, and and um, that continued on into seminary. I really appreciated the community. I appreciated living in community, but I also had some some people that were living in the house that wanted relationships with me that I wasn't interested in having with them. So. Um, you know kind of take take that thing which we're which we're all used to like we've all experienced this in the world and then put it into a powder keg and um make everybody live in the same it's like the real world real world seminary style you know what i mean so it you know it all kind of blew up one day when i was uh Sleeping and three in the morning and and um and I kind of thought that I could manage all this and in one of these guys who really wanted a, a romantic relationship with me, um, I woke up and he was at the foot of my bed, more or less. I mean, not more or less. That's what it was, and he really wanted to talk about our relationship. Put air quotes um, around that. And it just got really super weird. And, and and at that moment I realized that I couldn't really manage this on my own. I didn't really have um I didn't really have the capabilities of managing on my own. And that and in that instance I remember because he wouldn't then leave my room and I sleep naked and it got really weird. And I remember like jumping out of my bed and running out into the hallway <laughs> naked and say, If you don't go back to your room, I'm gonna knock on all these doors. Um, it was traumatic like it was super traumatic and then um so
0: did you get no support was there nothing like an hr department or something sorry if that question sounds dumb
2: no no i think that's a great i think that's a great question and i think like any institution um the people in this institution's main focus is to protect the institution at all costs
1: he's a real great guy A special man. An honest blow.
2: All I knew is I was going through this traumatic thing and I would have my meetings with my formators and their questions were getting more and more strange and I didn't understand where their questions were coming from. It just was like, just talking to them. It wasn't like an angry conversation or a sack. It was just like a, like a a conversation. And the way it was going was really, it felt really weird to me and it felt kind of blamey to me. And I'm just like, I don't understand how this is my fault. <clears throat> and... um. I remember looking and saying, hey, are you trying to tell me all this is my fault? And Father Charlie looked at me. He's like, yeah, this is your fault. Everything clicked, and I just said, okay, I'm out. Like, this is not a place that I want to be. And it was really kind of wonderful and freeing to be like, oh, this is the crazy like, it is my, in, in a way, it is my fault because I'm choosing to engage in this insane environment. This environment is so insane, they believe it to be normalcy. Sit and wait for you
1: As you speak for me La bofadora.
2: So I quit and I and I packed my bags and I moved in in the course of 24 hours. And I would definitely say like no, the the the, the HR, um as you as you quote it, was was really unsupportive.
1: It
2: was I think I think that people people have this perception of the Catholic Church being a um, sexually repressed and potentially predatory place, and in my experience, I saw I saw that.
0: What would the 15 year old you make of the music that you do now?
2: 15 year old Tom would not understand it at all. Would not, there's literally 15 year old Tom wasn't a musician in any way, shape, or form. 15 year old Tom wasn't gay in any way, shape, or form. 15 year old Tom would probably find it interesting. But would probably not have the time for it. Would probably just want to run outside and play football or something, which is, you know, oftentimes what thirty nine year old Tom is still wants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Tom, to wrap up this episode, what would be your gateway song? Do you think the perfect track to introduce people into your catalog?
2: I think that um, probably, probably it only takes one. And that's the first track off my 2014 record called Wait. And I think that that record as a whole is probably a really great introduction because it's, it bridges the, the acoustic tom with the electric, with the kind of more electro tom. And it has some really deep, deep concepts while still being fun and light. So that's what I would say.
1: It only takes one good swing, it's gone. And just when you thought, It only takes one Son
0: Ross, many thanks for joining me here today on In the Key of Q. It's been really, really wonderful to have you.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Many thanks for listening to this episode with Tom Goss. Remember, he's on the usual streaming platforms and keep up to date with what he's been up to on social media. We have exclusive content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. There you can join other listeners by supporting the show's production costs for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you thought about today's episode with Tom. The pods on social media at in the key of Q or email me direct on podcast at in the key And rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really, really helps. Our theme tune is by Pauline Edo at UnstoppableMonsters.com and our publicist is Paul Smith at PaulWSmith at gmail.com. Many thanks to Kajan Kantha and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced by me, Dan Hall and made at Pup Media Consultancy. See you next Tuesday.
2: It only takes one. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Let me. Let me. Let me do a little look. Look.